Hello and welcome to Cultpix Radio WCPX 66.6 with me, your host, Django Nudosan. And me, the smart peddler, talking smart later on today. <laughs> so we've got a double D theme for this week. It's Doris and Daimajin. And before we do that, a couple of public service announcements, as we're prone to do. First of all, there is still no service on Roku, Damn. much to our annoyance, because it's getting frustrating, because I, I do get emails almost every day saying, hey, there's nothing on your channel. I'll subscribe as soon as there's something up, which... Very frustrating yes. situation, but we hope we hope that, that they, they will fix it. Much nicer theme is uh, the fact that one of the themes today, which is uh, Daimajin, the Daie, we will have a special guest later on in the spring to talk more about it and more knowledgeably. Indeed, our, our good friend Johan San, who is a professor in, in cinema living in Japan, he's a Swede, and who has also very, very kindly been the uh, contact creator for us with both uh, Nikatsu, which we will add on films later, and with um, Kadokawa, who have the rights for the Daie film. So thank you very much, Johan-san, for that. Apart from that, we should mention that we are going to be at the Berlin Film Festival, I think we've mentioned this, tying up more deals and actually meeting some of our partners, such as uh, Kadokawa, uh, the parent studio of Daie, and um, our friends at Nikatsu. It will be a first, seeing them face to face. Yes, always yeah. good to cement these kind of ties. And I think we've got some Germans and other ones lined up. So hopefully lots and lots of exciting films to come out of that to be announced later. But first, let's start off with Daimajin. And um, why don't we begin by playing the extended trailer for the three films, which was put out by Arrow Video. So it's not the original uh, Daimajin trailer, but um, it sets the tone for our talk very nicely. Yamano what is Daimajin? Funny you should ask. Uh, happy to tell mm. you. So Daimajin is a, um, these are three films that were made by uh, Daiei in the 1960s. And Daimajin's name literally translates as giant devil or giant demon god in huh. Japanese. Um, although funny enough, he's seldom referred to as uh, Daimajin in the films itself. So he's a gigantic stone statue who comes alive to avenge wrongs. Usually it's uh, peasants or villagers wronged by evil feudal lord, yeah. which is, I think, the only plot device there was for, you know, hundreds of years in um, Japanese era. Yeah. Whether it's Seven Samurais or Daimajin. And interestingly enough, it's a, it's a trilogy, but all three films were made in 1966, the same year. So they, they really didn't know if they had a success on their hands. They just ground them out, the three of them. Good point, I suppose, because 
Well, and, and also interesting, there were three different directors. Yeah. So I don't know if they were working so fast that they couldn't keep up um, or they had to have uh, three separate ones. But I assume they released them, kind of staggered the releases um, over time because it wouldn't make sense to put them all out in one no. year. And I mean, the, the um, interesting thing is also that these were prestige projects. I mean, they, they had they had big budgets. They had lots of special effects. And according to a fan, and I read up on this, who writes that um, they used three of Daie Films' top directors, Kimiyoshi, Yasuda, mm. Kenji Misumi, and Kazuo Mori for the three films. So th there was definitely something yes. going on here that they, they believed in this. Now, did you know that there is a relation between Daimajin and one of our upcoming um, series, which is also from Daie, uh, which is that Daimajin's roots actually go back to Gamera versus the Space Iceman. Well which was a sequel to the original Gamera, mm. but it was never actually realized. It, they never actually filmed oh. it. So, But the idea was that Gamera would be fighting against the giant ice statue unleashed, unleashed by space aliens. Right. And so it, it must have given them the idea of this giant statue fighting. And what I was particularly fascinated is they built several full-scale models of uh, Daijamin that were four and a half meters in height. Oh. Um, and there was also specified uh, at the director of uh, director Yasuda's request is that he should be given a Kirk Douglas-like cleft in his chin. Oh, that's right. Yeah, but these films are amazing. I mean, they are a one of a kind, and 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 you know, as we can see from the Gamera films, which I think it's eight, and then we're going to do the Satoichi films, which are twenty. Uh, yes. they really were you know fond of doing those sequels over and over and over again, but. Here we have the three. Yeah. And Kadokawa have done an astonishing job of restoring it. I mean, obviously, the Japanese looked after their camera negatives. Yeah. And um, as we know from our, our Swedish Porunu films, uh, so they look stunning. They, they sound stunning. Um, and what made me also think about it is one of our fans and members got in touch and asked when we're going to have Thriller, a cruel picture on um the site because he pointed out it's obviously very expensive to buy the blu-ray mm, yeah and i did think about this and realized yes effectively with these um daimajin and later on gamera and zatochi you are getting effective the viewing experience of a very very expensive box set now arrow and others bless them for putting together these amazingly beautiful uh collectible uh, Blu-ray and DVD editions. In fact, the Zatoichi that you've got it's fantastic. is, um, you know, yeah, it's it's a piece of yeah. art, and that's why you know people should still buy them and they should still collect them, and you know have them on their sh shelf with pride. But the beauty of cult picks is that the discoverability. So maybe you don't know if you um, want to watch uh, this type of film, but you can get a taster. And if you really love it, then go out and buy it and sort of keep it forever. Definitely. You know, who knows? You know, in 10 years, it might be off cult picks or in five years, but it'll stay on your shelf forever for as long as you have it. Yeah, we often have that discussion with with. with people, especially on, on Facebook in different fan groups about uh, physical media versus uh, streaming. And I can never really see the, 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 the point in f having a fight about it. You know, watch movies. That's it. 
yeah enjoy them on on any platform um enjoy them in the cinema above all wherever possible um collect them you know photograph your collection with pride and put it up there uh but there are many ways of discovering that the only way not to discover preferably is you know pirated uploads to youtube and and other sites so you know support the original content uh rights holders who are thus able to share them this way and and also put up beautiful dvds but anyway enough about this i just wanted to finish off on daimajin unless you have more points the third one daimajin strikes again um by kazuo mori is is slightly different from the previous two which are effectively the same film but with different setting in that this one is um also about a group of young children uh who set up on a kind of quest uh, to find Daimajin and, and pray to him to liberate um, their, you know, captive, save their yeah, parents, yeah. effectively. So that adds a whole additional level to it, which I think makes it a, a worth checking out. Maybe I'm not suggesting you skip the second one, but there was even a, a thinking of a remaking of um, making a modern version of uh, Daimajin. But after the... Um, or updated version of Gamera didn't do too well. I think they scratched that idea, so it's not going to happen. Interestingly, um, you know, Takeshi Miike was selected to direct the Daimajin reboot in 2006. And interesting, do you know the approach to star in it no. um, as Daimajin? Steven Seagal. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you want stony expressionless kind of big bulk of a man with that yeah <laughs> steven seagal's your man never happened though um but interestingly there is um anyway enough about films that didn't happen let's focus on the ones that did happen the three wonderful daimajin films from dai kadokawa another day another man This is the story of women who thought they earned their money the easy way. Only to find that they had to pay for their sins. This now means that we can move on to the other D of the show, which is the second time we featured Doris Wishman. That is correct. Our our dear beloved twisted sick auntie. Yeah. Old age pension. And we're doing her career in reverse, basically. Starting off with the with mm. the color films of her late career and now moving into the the um someone called it her mid-period gutter noir era and and then later in the the spring we will go back to her 60s uh nudist camp films which is uh, Mm. lots of lots of fun but this specific era we're talking about now uh, black and white films from the 60s that's kind of peak doris wishman i think yes i think that's fair to say i think when you um reference Doris Wishman films of course you'll mention one of the Chesty yeah, Morgan films but definitely some of my favorite films here and, and probably um, Bad Girls Go to Hell 
um, stands out from those. But uh, yeah. let's not jump ahead. Let's let's do them each. Um, Definitely. Uh, I just want to mention that our, our friends at AGFA, the American Genre Film Archive, have been very much involved in the in the restoration and release of these films. Um, on their website, they call them uh, triumphant DIY treasures. <laughs> and that's very fitting, I think. It's lovely quote. I think it is, yes. Shall we begin with The Sex Perils of Paulette? Let's do Let's do it. And it sounds very familiar, The the uh, this moniker, um, Perils of Paulette, but it's actually Perils of Pauline, isn't it? Perils of Pauline, yes. And I think we, at one time, we had um, some of those original films on um, cult picks or a 1956, uh, I think, Paramount version about the actress who played them and the archetypal uh, silent film heroine who gets sort of tied up and, and left on the train track and, and has to be saved and uh, from the jaws of death uh, at the very last moment. Exactly, yeah. So th that's so. what was the inspiration for this. And um, this was kind of a transition film for Doris Wishman, going from those uh, nudist films uh, I just mentioned, more into roughy territory. And I, I love mm. that term, roughy. I, I would say that's a kind of genre that you wouldn't expect 2023, because it's a mix yeah. of nudity and violence, basically. Yeah. Um, there was a great uh, sort of trailer that I found online, uh, which I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, from the Criterion Collection, uh, where they, uh, which is called Three Reasons. And effectively, it's a montage from the film giving you three good reasons why you should watch the film, other than the fact that it's a Doris Wishman film. And they're quite fun, so I thought I'd quickly run through them here. The first one, as they say, is effectively, um, this is the godmother of Carrie Bradshaw and Lena Dunham, you know, who's creator of Girls on HBO. Oh, yeah. So it's a strange lineage, but kind of independent women in New York City, sort of from the 60s straight down to um, you know, the late 90s and the early noughties. I suppose you could make that argument. Yeah, and I mean, a bunch of these films were sh obviously shot in New York because that's where 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 Doris Wishman was basically working. Um, so you actually have some exteriors, but there's lots and lots of these films that, which Lisa Petrucci from Something Weird video pointed out when we were talking uh, about Doris Wishman's late films. Uh, a lot of the films were shot in the same apartment uh, with the same. Mm furniture and the same paintings yep. on the wall and that's kind of a, a thing you you can too. you can have a little uh Doris Fishman bingo probably with some of the details <laughs> yes definitely makes no terror um and the, the second point and I love this one is they said it, there's a bit of a there's a nouvelle vague or new wave softcore feel to it and it is very much influenced by that too isn't it? in terms of kind of handheld cameras the free-floating style the music um weaving over the dialogue and sort of dubs so there is i mean obviously wishman knew her um contemporary cinema history and there is that uh truefaut godard nouvelle vague feel to it isn't it yeah definitely whether it's conscious or not i i wouldn't 
take a, a guess, but but uh, I th I think she probably knew it. And of course, a lot of things that she did were out of necessity because there were show shoestring budgets. Yes. And this ties in with a third point, which is that it's it's rawness, you know, the raw hardcore, whether it's the reality of the gritty New York streets at the time or um, the kind of stripped down interiors acting, whatever you want to call it. It's authentic in that way, even after it's staged. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> This was the city that was going to give me everything I ever wanted. This was the city that would make my dreams come true. Here I would find life. Here I would find love. Here I would find me. It had to be. I couldn't miss. I felt that I belonged. I was wanted. If only everything could have remained that way. And also, I mean, um, there, there is a theme going through a lot of these films. If we move into the next one, Another Day, Another Man from 1966. Um, a lot of these films are about women who are either voluntarily or forced to go into um, sex work or, I mean, striptease or prostitution and things like that. And in Another mm -hmm. Day, Another Man, it's kind of funny because it's a... Uh, spoiled woman who basically hasn't had a job in all of her life she and her husband move into a very expensive apartment and he falls ill and they can't pay the bills mm -hmm. so she has to go to work and she doesn't know how so um what's a girl to exactly. do exactly <laughs> and thank god she has a friend who hooks her up with a pimp yes As could have do. friends who know pimps <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean that that go, uh, goes on and on in these uh, uh, films. It's uh, it's a CD CD world world in New York, and it's a handy plot device for you know the rapid fall of middle aged respectability into you know roughy CD sleazy territory. Yeah, absolutely. In the next one, My Brother's Wife, also from 1966. I mean, Doris Wishman was very, very productive in this period. So there were a couple of films every year, basically. Um, and this one, well, it doesn't contain um, prostitution or striptease, but this is the tale of adultery and betrayal. And it also has something, a trope that also is very much Doris Wishman, and that's the downbeat ending where someone gets their due, what they deserve. Uh, it's over and over again. And here it's a woman who is um, sort of stuck between the the man he's, she's married to and his brother who she starts a relationship with, but he has some other motives for uh, starting a relationship with her because he's going to run away with his girlfriend and all of the money and uh, well you could i mean you could claim that she's a victim but she very much brings this on to herself and wishman gives her you know uh, she gives her her dues in the end of the film without saying too much mm. about the story it's interesting that we have films in the exploitation, sexploitation genre that, that fall into two categories, one of which is kind of happy nudie cuties, 
um, you know, whether it's nudist films or you know, even, I'd say, the sex education yeah. films. And then a lot of very downbeat. Um, and not to put anybody off because there's nudism and it's an enjoyable watch. Um, but these kind of downbeat roughies, and this, this one's particular, but I'm thinking it's no less true for... Um, some of our Swedish films. Okay, Anita has redemption at the end, um, but you look at some of the other ones, like um, Exponerad, I wouldn't say it's a happy film. No, it's it's true, and it's also with the, the film Eva, it's always uh, someone, you know, falling prey to, to something, and it has to do with sex in one way or another, and I'm just thinking here, f sort of freestyling that it's you know, of course, in these films from Doris Wishman from the 60s, it's it's people who, who you know, have sex or, you know, outside of marriage or whatever, and they, they, uh, they get punished. But there's really no different difference to uh, mainstream American horror films where everyone who wears a nightgown or has sex has to be killed by the by the monster or, or the <laughs> slasher, whatever. Um, it's something about that whole guilt thing associated with sex, I guess. It drives the plot, but I'm thinking it's not as if they needed that kind of moralizing to get past the censors because these films were, you know, post Hays Code. Of course, there was still limits to what you could show even in uh, adult theaters. But yeah, sure. it's I think Doris, some, old Do smart. good old Doris, liked to make movies like these. That that's it. My brother's wife, Mary. The first time I saw her, I knew there had to be trouble. The desire to possess her was my one thought. Speaking of um, things going badly for uh, people involved, um, it's all there in the title, does exactly what it says on the tin, Bad Girls Go to Hell from 1965. It's a bit like snakes on a plane, isn't Very it? What's this film about? <laughs> Bad girls, like Monica. So this one, the plot is um, real rough stuff. It's... Um, about a housewife in uh, lives in Boston and um, her husband leaves for work. So she's on her own and um, doing her house chores, like taking out the uh, trash in her nightgown. Uh, she comes across the building superintendent who at first accosts her and then rapes her. Um, and she, you know, kills him in um, trying to protect herself. And then she has to run away to New York, where, she, of course, she ends up in the sleazy world of uh, crime and sex. There's no other world in New York um, than that, probably. No. <laughs> I thought the 70s were kind of the roughest, you know, taxi driver kind mm. of years of, of New York sleaze pit. But Doris found that sleaze already in, in the mid-60s. Yeah. So she was way ahead of Marty on it. And as someone pointed out, this is Wishman's formula perfected in this film. It has it all. 
somebody um, commented. Um, in fact, it was on Twitter, our fan follower, uh, Deadly Reunion, who uh, commented and said, utterly in love with the, this film, regardless of how distressing it is to watch. And um, it does have some great stills from it as well, which I think catch, catches people's eye. The um, woman in the lacy bodysuit, oh, yeah. for example. Yeah. Let's. It's one of the few films we've tracked on the original trailer for. So let's listen to the Bad Girls Go to Hell trailer. You. 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 Do you know that bad girls go to hell? Bad girls. See the boldest and most intimate scenes ever shown on any screen in Bad Girls Go to Hell. See sex without shame. violence in a story that is brutally honest in bad girls go to hell are we now going to greece let's go to greece or are we staying in new york and there is also a kind of a, a, a link here to herschel gordon lewis which we've talked about before and both with with herschel gordon lewis and doris wishman they loved to use footage from the cutting room floor that was not used in other films and edited together to some some sort of feature films. This is kind of yes. related to that. Mm. As and the great glorious tradition of Roger Corman of finding um, an overseas film which would never get watched, uh, seen or distributed in any way, shape or form in the United States and then just chopping it up, putting a few inserts, sometimes inserts of inserts, mm -hmm if you catch my yeah. meaning, um, and releasing it under a completely new title with dubbed over dialogue. Um, it's, you know, Harvey Weinstein almost did that. He just kept chopping them down and he added a English uh, dub for the trailers, mm. though we did actually keep the original yeah. dialogue for the films. And in this case with Doris Wishman, um, it's, I mean, the, the legend is, I don't know how true it is, that she went on vacation in Greece and bought the rights to two Greek films um, oh. uh, and that she lost the, the script translations or the dialogue lists across the Atlantic. So when she got back to New York, they spoke Greek and it was just Greek to her. So she made up her own dialogue. <laughs> she overdubbed it. And as you said, she also shot some uh, softcore nudity and put it into the films. Sometimes, of course, the looks uh, were very different from the original film to the to the new version. And as someone also pointed out on the internet, um, some of the storylines in these films are more coherent than her other films because they they were based on films mm. with a story. Yes, which is kind of interesting. And the but films are it's... hot month, the hot month of August, and uh, uh, passion fever. So supposedly from 1966 and 1969, but that can be argued. Um, and I think also that um, we haven't used the original Greek titles on cult picks because these films have very little to do with the originals. 
Yes. No, it's it's two completely different films. But I admire Wishman's ability of, of fusing, first of all, not just coming up with their own dialogue and, um, you know, effectively uh, second film, but obviously doing um, additional shots. She wouldn't have access to the original actors, so she had to fake it. And she couldn't just shoot them from the chest down. So she had this kind of surrealist um, approach to it of, of having a kind of dreamy, blurry, soft focus, gaze, gauze, um, uh, insert shots of the uh, hanky-panky stuff. Yeah. Um, and still, and still she kept doing that kind of thing of cutaways to feet and shoes and hands and objects in the room so it's that bingo again and i love this because this makes it art you know whatever you feel about what she did and why she did it she invented a style by doing this and 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 i think that's also the sort of the the bridge over to modern films by filmmakers like you know tarantino robert rodriguez uh, Mm. a lot of others uh nicolas winding refn they saw so yeah. much of this and they, you know, used it and, and regurgitated it and put it out there in new new ways. And they wouldn't have yeah. been those directors without these old films. No, her fingerprints are all over it. And I, I, I dare, you know, anybody not fam- or anybody familiar with a Wishman film of not sitting through five minutes of any one of her films and not being able to say, aha, yeah, that is definitely her style. It is. I mean, it is. Um, she really was an auteur, as oh, much as definitely. I have my qualms about that term. The next one actually has one of my favorite titles of, of um, Doris Wishman's films, or any film really. Uh, the sort of very cannibalistic, A Taste of Flesh, but it's not about <laughs> cannibals at all. No, does not contain cannibals. In that regard, Trade Descriptions Act applies. Um, but are we getting ahead of ourselves? Who is in it who is of particular particular uh, interest yes i i I hoped you would ask that um of course there are some of the uh, sort of um the actors that are in every or every second film of course like darlene bennett but here we find our own friend uh cleo nova which was her stage name aka better known as peggy stephans or peggy sarno the the wife the partner the business partner and muse of joseph w sarno joe sarno yes and it's it's you know easy to forget or overlook her acting contributions because she did so much else for uh joe sarno and um but yes she's an actress an actor and a damn good one at that and also which lisa petrucci from something weird pointed out uh peggy is wearing that old hopeless blonde wig in this film which is also (laughs) something that comes back over and over and over again in doris wishman's films this is a it's a kind of a thriller and it's about the assassination attempt of a foreign prime minister so that you know that's 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 a new route it's it's not about the cd new york it's it's something else but of course two lesbian roommates have to have home invaders coming in and taking them hostage at gunpoint to find a vantage point to kill this guy. 
it, it'd be too straightforward if it was just political. But again, I suppose it was of its time because this would have been after the Kennedy assassination yes. and Martin yes. Luther King and I suppose yeah. and Robert Kennedy. So uh, of yeah. its era. Definitely, uh, but yeah, yes. so it's from 67. You're absolutely right. But with lesbians. And um, I think, you know, having seen it, I think we definitely have to play the the lesbian seduction scene in the bathroom because, again, that that still has you know, caught a lot of people's eyes on social media. And I think it's a, it's, it's a wonderful scene. So why don't we have a listen to it? where radio comes into its own because obviously there wasn't any dialogue in that clip but believe you me there was nudity underneath those soap suds in the bath and there was definitely a, a lesbian seduction going on there you're just gonna have to watch the film too if you don't want to take my word for it it's a good teaser let's move on to too much too often mm. this one has a kind of a different storyline to the others well, it's, it's about a male gigolo yeah so a lot of them are, are female first or females in the leads characters so it's unusual from this wishman period i suppose for it yeah. to be a, a man who's the center of the film but indeed so mike the gigolo magic mike uh takes advantage of several women at the same time and with a nice little sideline of blackmail getting extra cash uh, by shaking down a businessman but poor Mike shouldn't have been mixing uh, business and pleasure because uh, soon the father of one of the women uh, starts digging a little bit into Mike's sordid past and bad things happen because it's a Wishman film. Yeah, and then we're back to Wishman's trope with the, uh, with the ending and the uh, sort of the, the punishment of, of the the bad the bad guy or the bad girl mostly mm. the bad girl but here's there's a bad guy yeah buck star um, making a return in this do we know why she churned out a lot of these films under pseudonym in this case louise silverman i don't know i think that well this is just a wild guess but maybe a, ma a male name was something more bankable at the time and it yeah. was quite unusual with a woman making films like these yeah, Probably. that's that would have been my guess as well. And Lewis mm. is kind of androgynous, so I suppose yeah. that in a way yeah. she kind of you know she didn't go for Adam. Yeah, but she used um, different nom de plume, and which also other male directors did at the time because, well, maybe it's you know it was a cross to bear if you had been doing sexploitation films if you're you know trying to yes, be legit true. somewhere else. True, Joe Sarno. You know he wasn't mm. always good old Joe. No, so exactly. 
there's definitely the shame factor, I suppose. Maybe they were hoping to have more of a mainstream career and not get dragged down by. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, also, Roberta Finley used a, a lot of different yes. stage names. So, yeah. Once in a great while, a sensational and starkly realistic motion picture comes to the screen. Such a film is too much, too often. See what happens when man turns animal for the erotic pleasures of women and men. These are the women whose lives he ruined in too much, too often. So last but not least, we have Indecent Desires. And I and I love mm. how these titles are so blatant <laughs> and obvious. It's like you don't have to take a wild guess what they're about. It goes for most no. of them. And they kind of set the scene for that torrent of, you know, straight to video and, and cable late night films of the, the late 80s and the 90s of, you know, Fatal Desire or, you know, Indecent Fatality. You could just sort of move around the words and come up with a new film title out of them. That's true. Just pull them out of a hat. Yeah. <laughs> sort of William Burroughs style cut-ups. Yes. So once again, Sharon Kent um, is starring, um, and um, it's um, slightly um, strange or topic again, not traditional exploitation. So it's yeah. about um, this Manhattanite Zeb who finds a doll and a ring in the uh, trash can, which gives him the power to control um, sensations experienced by Anne, which is a woman that Zeb is obsessed with. So. Obviously, he does the kind of voodoo thing. Well, he doesn't do needles in the doll, but when he caresses the doll, Anne can feel it. And obviously, she thinks she's losing her mind, not being sure why it is that she's experiencing these sensations. Yeah, which is also like a, a Wishman trope, people thinking that they're going nuts. Mm. It's also very useful in these, yes. in these instances. And um, voyeurism and obsession and kink. So, it's all there, yeah, yeah. And there's yeah, some, the bingo there are funny, full. funny stills from this film with with a woman superimposed on that doll. So mm. It looks really surreal. It could be something out of, out of Buñuel film. Yes. And of course, in in a lot of these films, there 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 was no sound when they shot the film, so people could say whatever they liked, and it, there would be other lines when they were overdubbed later on. Yeah, Fellini so stuff. That's kind of interesting. So. And this this is was the last film we were to talk about today. But I just have to go back to because I forgot something really really important about the sex perils of Paulette, uh -huh. and that is uh, it has a uh, major uh, Hollywood star in it in a small role. Oh, and that's I... Tony Lobianco. Right, who, I missed that in the line notes. Yeah, who was actually in films like French Connection, but most famous in my world from his role in The Honeymoon Killers. Oh. Which is a great cult movie, which we should definitely try to add to, to um, cult picks if we can. Yes, 
that that one is definitely up there. So um, that would be a good addition. Gosh, I had no idea. So again, yeah, I guess that he probably um, left it off his resume, maybe. But um, maybe, yeah. But it's funny. A lot of actors started out small, of course. Yeah. No. Look, look at Robert De Niro. He could have easily gone down this path if you know that. Who's that knocking on my door? The kind of early. Yeah. Um, to mention the the Italian stallion. Italian Stallion. Yes, we've debated about whether to put up his first infamous film on Culpix. So we've held off so far. But so far, yeah. Um, there's going to be a playlist on Spotify, but there's some fantastic songs to it. And and I, what I didn't know that um, until you pointed out to me in the um, line notes there is that um, the a lot of it was done by. Uh, this where the uh, dubbing was done at uh, Tetra Sound Corporation, and they had some, you know, crazy exciting library tracks, and that one of them was um, was the legend. There's something weird theme, That's um, right, yes. which is obviously a favorite. So, yeah. so we have to plug for the uh, something weird video. Have been involved in releasing a vinyl album with the best yes. of Doris Wishman. So please go out on your favorite web shop and buy that yes it's been a pleasure talking double d with you smart peddler as always i Likewise, am Django nudo friend. and i am the smart peddler <laughs> and we will be back most likely next time live from berlin 